Welcome back to another episode of Life With Your Dog. My name's Panos, and today we're doing another Q&A, but it's not really 100% a Q&A because I was ready to do a topic about demo dogs, what that means, and all that entails, basically talking about my dog, Chili, and for your other trainers out there, some tips and some some tips to work towards if you're looking at getting one, if you have one already, a few things that you need to do. And if you're a client of a dog trainer, maybe observing their demo dog and see where they're at. And it could be a good way, maybe not to entirely judge the trainer, but to judge the trainer, basically. You want to see the dog that they have that they have for themselves and then see where the limitations are and to see what qualities of their training they have and how they can assist within the session. Now, I know... There's many different variables of what makes a good demo dog, what even entails having a demo dog, depending on how you got into the industry. Did you have a reactive dog? You sought out some training. Now with that reactive aggressive dog, you've made you've gotten better. But now that demo dog that you have is probably not the actual dog. That's gonna specifically help you within sessions. And we'll kind of talk about brainstorming a little bit of that as well. But I'll I'll, I, and I also have a question that is coming through Instagram. I'll answer that more towards the end. And that question comes from Courtney. Um, so thanks for the question, Courtney. But anyway, so what is a demo dog? A dog is a demonstration dog, a dog that you demonstrate your skills with. So that way there you can show your clients um, and potential clients what it is that you can teach your dog. So, you know, of course, obedience, socialization, you know, how how strong is your dog socially as well as physically? Can he deal with certain obstacles and situations? But more importantly, if you're working with socialization for puppies or even obedience training, and more importantly for dealing with anxious, aggressive sort of behaviors, then you want a dog that can be stable and neutral in the vicinity around your training session. So that way there you have an opportunity to teach the dog that you're working with how to act around other dogs. So that's basically what a demo dog is. And to talk about the qualities that I looked for, what I was looking for when I was getting a demo dog. So a little bit of a backstory again for regular listeners. You've probably heard me say this a couple of times, but for the new people, um, this is for you. So I had Spades. Spades is currently 13 years old. He's a Roddy Shepherd mix. And he was awesome. He was a great demo dog. He came to all my sessions. He, he, he probably wasn't the best demo dog that I could have chosen, but that's the dog that I had at the time. And before that, I was using Ace, my Kelpie lab. However, he had epilepsy. He got pretty sick and his brain wasn't all there. He was still a functioning dog, but not functioning at the high level that I needed. And I was putting a lot of pressure. He wasn't reliable. He was kind of like he'll, he'll break positions. He'll walk off into the bushes. He'll do weird stuff because, you know, neurologically, he wasn't all there. So then I made the choice to take spades with no real learning or training. I'm like, hey, buddy, you're coming with me. And then he just had to learn on the job. He when he was so I've had Chili now two years, so Spades was around about eleven years old. His back was going, his back like he was just real slack to take him out to work. So I really needed to get a demo dog kind of ASAP. And to give a little bit of a backstory, things that I'm not super proud of, but it is what it is, and it's just what happened you know, along my journey is that my dream dog is to have the black working line German Shepherd. And I thought maybe that was a perfect time while Spades was getting old and I had a six-month-old baby that I thought maybe I should just add a working dog into my into the mix so that I can start to train the dog, record the whole process for you guys. I had a lot of plans. And again, I'm not going to talk too much about this, but essentially I had the puppy for a few days, acknowledging that it wasn't the right time of my of my life to have a puppy um, and especially a puppy with 
the expectations that I put on myself that I had to train, along with I had to make sure this puppy was going to be good enough to be social enough to be able to come to all my sessions. And I had to get that ha happening in a rush. And you can't take a puppy out. You can't take a puppy with you out and about. But to have him with you all day, every day in the hot summer sun in Sydney can be a little bit much, along with would I be putting too much pressure on himself and myself, you know, the logistics of it. Along with that, you know, I, wanna, I really want to be a good dad. And I think trying to raise a puppy at the same time of, of you know, being a first-time father, I just feel like my life wasn't really lining up. I hit a bit of a rock bottom. I burnt out a little bit. Awesome breeders that, that, that I was consoling with, that, that were cool. I, I, I returned the puppy. It was soul-crushing, ego-crushing. It, it didn't feel good, but I did. But we did do an episode on this, so go back and find it about where I was at um, at that time of my life. Um, there's no regrets um, whatsoever. Actually, in fact, it was a great learning lesson. Um, I wouldn't do that again. I wouldn't take a puppy and take him back again, but I have... Um, but I, but I learned a few things from that. First of all, how can I guarantee a small little tiny puppy, regardless of seeing the litter, seeing the dog, and then also seeing the parents, how can I guarantee that dog's going to be the best dog that I need as a demo dog? Now, if Spades was maybe eight years old or even five years old, and then I introduced a puppy, I think that would have been fine. would have given me so, myself some time, a bit of breathing room to be able to use my existing de demo dog and then raise my dog, the puppy, to be the dog I want him to be. But again, so much going on, you can burn out and then what's the point? You can't help anybody if, you, if you're struggling to help yourself. So that was one key. Number two is that I also am interested in participating in some sort of sport training at some stage of, of my career. And I think just adding that to the mix and then do I have a sport dog, a working dog, or do I have a demo dog? Do I have all of them? Do I have a pet as well? Do I have a dog that can fit within our family? I don't have a big facility where I can store all the dogs. So you know, there's many things happening all at once. And again, things that we dive deep on that episode back then. So my, my decision was with all the support in the industry, with all my, um, with all the trainers that I knew and a lot of people reached out and they supported me in that time. And, and through those conversations, I came to the conclusion that I actually really was looking for like a Kelpie or a Cooley or a Kelpie Cooley cross, something along those lines. I like that look. I like the type of dog. I'm familiar with Kelpies um, since they're the dogs that I've, I've like, that were the first dogs that I ever had. So there was a few things that I was looking for in the dog that ended up being chilly. First of all, I wanted a high drive, a dog that had high prey drive, a dog that will play with a tug, will play with, will chase a ball relentlessly with intensity and vigor and ignition. I wanted that. I want to work with that. I think it's really fun. And also a dog that has that sort of prey drive means that I can do more higher level things with him and the type of training that I enjoy doing with the dog. Um, I want a dog that's lightweight. I don't want a dog that's going to be 30 kilos plus, just like Spades, as he started getting a little bit older, to pick him up into the van, into the car and things like that. Where with Chili, he's 18 kilos. He can, I can easily pick him up if I needed to. He can hop up and down. He's not going to break his joints coming in and out of the car all day, every day. I can get him up into awkward spots if we are in an awkward spot throughout a session. So so the, the, the actual weight and the size was a, an important thing for me. I wanted to make sure that I could have a dog that could go for a, a long day of work like for example today i got a little tiny break in my day and it is raining but the other day we started at nine we finished at eight it was a scorching hot day like 37 degrees yeah of course i didn't let my dog just sit in the sun all day he was in the aircon in between sessions and things like that but he wasn't going to burn out and gas out just because it was hot i certainly don't work him as much on a hot day but he can go all day and still look at me at the end of the day going are we going to do some more stuff and that's what i want and that's what i like about a a, a working dog, a sheep dog, a dog that has that level of um, fitness. And also, you know, their coat is bred specifically 
with you know within their breeding program so that they can deal with the heat deal with all the dust and stuff so there's a lot of different things happening there as well which i'm not an expert in obviously the way that i just explained that didn't sound very nice but getting a dog that's not going to be good with the heat probably won't work for a demo dog that you know three quarters of a year it's quite warm and also i as i said before i do enjoy the breed i'm familiar with the breed and i always wanted another sort of kelpie or a coolie chili is a coolie is a full purebred coolie um he doesn't look like it but he is so i do enjoy that type of dog i enjoy the the, the way that he looks at me like hey what are we going to do buddy what, what what's happening now rather than a dog that's outwardly focused all the time trying to do other things so i also want a dog that had a good social status i want and what i mean by that is that i wanted him to be cool with dogs i wanted him to be cool with people now when i first got him he was completely sweet with dogs there was no issues with my dogs or dogs that were like in, in, in the neighborhood when I was assessing him. Um, he was a little bit scared of certain people or certain different type of looking people. So if you know, when, when my mother-in-law walked in with like a big floppy hat, long um, skirt, sort of denim skirt, she had like a, the trolley and like a couple things in her hands. So she walked in, like, you know, she opened the gate, walked in, kind of freaked him out. It was like day three of having him, you know, so there was some things that he wasn't fully 100% socialized towards or exposed towards just because of where he lived and the circumstances there. Um, but like, he's completely sweet with my, with my mother-in-law. Actually, in fact, I don't really have an issue with any people um, with Chile, unless you're really dodgy, but that's because of your mannerisms, not because it's a human thing. And with dogs, he's cool with dogs. Now that I've seen that he's getting a little bit older, another entire male is just not his thing. So he won't go and play with an entire male. He'll keep his space. He'll probably, you know, kind of growl at him and tell him to kind of piss off. But again, within reason, he doesn't have to like everybody, but he has to give some good space and still be able to listen to me. His ability to learn and to work. I want a dog that is smart and sm smart enough that I can teach him complex stuff and continue working the journey so that I can also use him as a demonstration. If we're working on tricks or advanced obedience, then I can use him to help with my clients. I also want a dog that is uh, his ability to learn to be inwardly focused towards me so I can handle him in these sort of dodgy situations where the dogs are lunging at me or dogs are lunging at him. And I want to make sure that the things that I've taught him are going to be solid even under those sort of moments of duress. And the age, I was looking for a dog around about 12 months old. And the reason for that, after a little bit of assessment and speaking to a couple of friends, was that you can't fully 100% guarantee that puppy. Now, having the puppy means that you can. And look, I'm not saying you shouldn't get a puppy for a demo dog. I actually don't, don't think that's true. It's just in my circumstance and where I was at, that's the reason why I chose to go down that route. But yeah, if you have a puppy, then you can create the situations, create those foundations and socialize them appropriate to your environment, to the things that you need to, like your lifestyle, to the things that you're going to be exposed to, dogs and people and, you know, loud, busy environments, construction. So that's all the general stuff that, that you would encounter in Sydney, along with like, you know, going a little bit more rural, have to deal with, you know, different sort of stock animals and, and game animals and things like that. So we want to make sure that Having a puppy, you can formulate that. But again, I want—I didn't have no backup. I didn't have a backup to be like, mm, he's not where I'm at yet. He's still a little bit dodgy. A dodgy situation happened yesterday where a dog lunged at him and freaked him out. So now when we're at sessions, he's now becoming the reactive dog and I have to do some work with that. And if he's the only dog, the only puppy that I'm relying on, then it's a lot of pressure for the puppy and for myself. And I don't want to crush a puppy. And also I didn't want to crush my own self as well. So I want a dog that was about a year old. I can see what the dog's going to be. It's more of an easier 
assumption or assessment to see a dog at the one years old and then see what they're going to be like at three compared to seeing them at eight weeks old to see what they're going to be at three. You have no idea. So that's why I wanted a dog at that age. I didn't want a dog too um, old either. I would have been happy with six months or eight months. But again, Chili was available and it happened just the stars aligned. It was like four or five different people sent me the same post of what Rachel, who used to own um, Chili, um, she put it out there and she was looking for a good home and she's awesome. Rachel has done a lot of good foundation with Chili. Um, she loves dogs. She She's all about the dogs and, you know, she does lots of do different type of dog training as well with her four or five dogs that she's got. And Rachel's still in our life in regards to looking after Chile when we need to and, 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 and we keep in touch as well. So that's always nice. So that's why I've got Chile and this is these are the things that I was looking for. Now, of course, another few things that was interesting about having Chile was that, yeah, he environmentally he wasn't 100% sound. He was scared of, you know, certain things, umbrellas and people with, with fishing rods or with umbrellas, like holding basically sticks and the kites in the sky, certain other things that were kind of trippy to him. Um, different surfaces and different environments. So I had to kind of work him through it. But I love doing the counter conditioning and the desensitization process. Just me and him. Not having to stop and teach and kind of go through the motions. It's just while I'm out in the streets doing my training, training's happening within the schedule of walking. And I thought that was really cool. It was cool that I got to train a dog right from the beginning. Even though he had a bit of a foundation, I assumed he didn't have anything. So I can start from the beginning fresh with where I want to be. And of course, all the skills that he had learned, they kind of implanted within the training as well. So that's a little bit of background and how to look for a demo dog and a few other things as well. If you do have a dog that is reactive or aggressive, but you are into dog training now and you do want to help people with reactivity and aggression, well, then having a dog that's reactive is clearly not um, the best situation for you. So an option would be and pretty obvious one is get another dog. You need to figure out a situation where you can raise a dog or, or have a dog that's already, you know, maturing so that you can allow them to be the dog that you want them to be. But again, you need to now manage two dogs and, you know, your situation. I know that can be difficult. And with me, I didn't have a reactive or aggressive dog at any time. I got into dog training for some for a different reason, and maybe that makes me extra weird or extra special. <laughs> um, where most people had an issue, they they fell in love with the dog training person, they got into it. So, if you are that person with that dog that you know is not so good, then I guess you have to pick and choose what sort of training you're doing, and you have to formulate your situation so that you do have other dogs helping you within those sessions, maybe other clients and grouping them up, or you know having a a client who has a an awesome dog that you can kind of utilize, utilize them, utilize the dog. Again, that's probably not realistic. So, um, or you can work with the dog that you have and then continue to build it up and then work within their thresholds and their critical distance, have a dog tied up on a tree, you know, work on your distance. But again, you want to be of service to your clients. You want to be able to get within two, three meters of, a, of your dog with your dog being neutral so that you can work with the dog that, that you're working with. So it can be difficult. I can, I totally feel and understand your situation. And, I guess I'm open to having more discussions. If you are in that position, you can you can reach out to me and we can have a chat and give you some give you a little bit of of guidance throughout that because it can be emotional as well as challenging. So I'm going to read Courtney's um, question to me in a nutshell. She's um she's been watching my stories and one thing she goes she goes Hey Panos, really admire the work you've been doing with Chili. He's so great with dogs. My Kelpie two years old bringing him out more often with my clients the last few months, starting to get him in the role of being a good demo dog. 
something I admired the other day, you posted with Chili telling Chili to sort of run past your client a distance away from you to create a distraction. Just wondering if you'd mind sharing a few tips on how you got him to do, got him to that level. Thank you in advance and extremely busy and appreciate it. So I replied back to her. I'm like, oh, like I'm going to do a Q&A about demo dogs anyway. This is awesome. Good timing for you to ask me this question. Give me a little bit of context so I can kind of elaborate like which video, where was I? So I can kind of like look back and find it because I just save all the videos. And again, just a nudge, she can't remember, but I was against the fans, told Chili to walk past or similar. And he jogged up along the wall perimeter. That was very cool. If, if I find that video, then I'm going to put it up on my social somewhere and I'll probably tag or mention this podcast episode in it. So that way that you can kind of find it if you're interested, if I can find it, my whole gallery is full of dogs and chili doing something. So I can find something similar to that effect anyway. Again, if I'm going to be that proactive, I hope I can put that out for you. She thought that, she thought that was very cool. Been having my boy do distraction work when I train clients because he ignores, oh, so doing it at their place because he wanders around the yard. But however, in public, I'm not sure how it would go. He also is more neutral around dogs, like doesn't care for them. But if they interact with him, he's not reliably solid and strong grounding and just doesn't phase him. That's something I love about Chili, happy, anxious. He's happy to let anxious or reactive dogs suss him out while not reacting back. Now, I have to put another thing out there before I answer that question is that like you're only going to see what I choose to put up on Instagram as well. Like not all the time am I recording everything. If I had somebody following me, I could probably get some really interesting videos. But then obviously by the time I decide to pull the camera out and I'm not like focused on the job because a lot of times I don't take any video of, of like three sessions in a row. I'm just so into the job that I forget to record any of it. So when I do decide to record it, it's probably because we're at a good situation. The last thing I want is for my client to have her struggling. And then I'm like, oh, cool, keep struggling while I'm recording, right? So I want to show the, the successes. And then, of course, I want to show the successes of my dog. So, you know, if my dog's being a jerk, then I'm probably not going to put it up there. He rarely is a jerk. But not all the time you see what you see is not always what's happening. I guess that's what I want to put out there. So just be remember that people on Instagram, social media, on any fa- on, or what they choose to let you see rather than being there in the moment. Don't be fooled by some of the stuff you see. Not because I'm trying to, I'm not trying to make me look better than I am. It's just when I'm able to get a video, is it valuable that you, someone's going to get something out of it, some sort of learning, um, and also just an example of what we can do. So keep that in mind for everybody out there. But there's a few things at play here that kind of get the, those results. Now, how does my dog? If I say go, and I, and I'm and I'm pretty sure. This is what happened. And again, a lot of things look like what what Courtney saw, but it actually wasn't what she saw. So just to break it down a little bit. So when I first got Chili, he always spent time on the leash, all of my food. He was existentially fed. All the food came from my pouch for the first two months. He never got anything for free. He was always in the lead. Even when he came into my house, always had the lead on him until he can show some reliable behavior. So for the first six months, always on the leash, short lead for walking, long lead in parks. He came to work with me basically like as soon as I started. So I took about a week off when I got him. He was on a four-week kind of trial to see if he was going to be suitable for my my situation or not. And that's another thing that I highly recommend. If you're going to get a dog, especially a demo dog, trial it for about a month. If it's not going to work out, you should have an agreement to take the dog back so you can find the right dog. You don't want to be accumulating a bunch of dogs and finally, um, finally get a dog after you got like seven of them. In saying that as well, one thing that I've 
that I thought about is it would be ideal if I had like three or four demo dogs. So every four or five days I can rotate them or like maybe every second day rotate them. So they're not putting too much pressure on each dog, you know, environmentally, socially, um, having to put up with me as a human, you know, I'm, I'm not always calm and collected. I'm just a person as well. I lose my temper and, you know, that, that could also ruin the, um, the relationship depending on what's happening. You know, again, it's just me being transparent and open. So having a, maybe two or three demo dogs can be awesome so you can rotate them. But again, I don't have that luxury of, of space. And also I'm not going to get rid of spades because now he's not useful to me. I have to tend to him and to his needs and, and to the relationship that we have. And Nookie also, she's awesome, but she also doesn't come really to work with me. So if it was just chilly, then I may have got another two dogs and then I could use all of them for demo dogs. So that was just a side note there. But basically how did I get chilly to know to like walk past him? Well, a few things that look like a bit of a trick. It could be that I've told Chili down and I may know that he wants to go from, if I'm standing there, he's on my left of me and I'm holding a dog or my client's got the dog. And I know that he wants to go to the right of me because something's there, like a smell he was walking to and I've told him to down. So in that moment, you could maybe see that, okay, let's say we told the, you know, we told the staffy to sit. He likes to ju jump and bark at dogs. He sees my dog you know, owner's doing the technique. Hey, look at me, focus on me. Don't break your seat and going through all the process. I, I go chilly. Okay. And I'll point in a direction probably, or I'll say, okay, because I know he's going to go in that direction. Maybe it depends on which way I'm facing. If I'm facing outwards, he may go that way. Or if I know that his body's like leaning back because there's like a, a scent he wants to go investigate or something's happening or he's uncomfortable and you feel more comfortable being on the grass and on the concrete. So I have to kind of read where he's at, what's happening, you know, the three spinning wheels, what's happening environmentally, what's happening with the dog, what's happening within me. Also, we all, most of you, I'm assuming, know how to lure your dog from left and right and back and forth, so your dog knows what a lure is. Over time, especially for Kelpie type of dogs, in my experience, like working dogs, is that they kind of pick up gestures quite easily. So from my lure with food in my hand, I eventually may go, hey, that way, and I'll point. He'll move a couple of steps, mark and reward. Or I'll go this way, down, good boy. And just through relationship and communication, he gets reinforced. So not always is he getting reinforced with a ball, a tug or food. He may be getting reinforced from not putting any spatial pressure. If I've gone this way and I follow him up, a bit of spatial pressure, I can move him. So it's either, I think it's an extension from the lure, why you can see me point in a direction for him to go. It could also be that I've gone that way and then walk behind him in a little bit of like my bodily like my body walking up to him gives him a bit of that social pressure which makes him move and then over time he wants to avoid that pressure so i say the word go that way and then he will like follow it maybe sometimes confusingly um i'm like oh he stopped don't don't over here back over here no 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 there, there and he's like what are you doing what are you asking so you have to break it down or another thing is um working on like my touch command and i know i've explained this somewhere here where um my car was really butted up close to another car in a car parking spot I had to open the door, but it was way too, like it was impossible for him to get into the car from the front of the car. I had to get him to the back of the door so he can go back in. So instead of me going, go that way, point, I was pointing. He's like, whoa, what are you asking me? So it was simple. I closed the door. I said, touch. He went and touched my hand. I opened the door again. Inside, he jumped back inside. Then over time, I'm like, this way, buddy, this way. And I'll give the same gesture as if I was going to do the touch. And I may have done the touch like 12 times. And then over time, it's like, oh, yeah, this is the cue for here. So you go from the small behaviors or the small fundamentals, luring, touch command, you know, body gestures, add words to those situations. And that's how we then start, like those complex skills, we'll call them. Complex skills only because there's two, three, four skills put together. We chain them up. And then from chaining them, then over time, it becomes language. 
And that's really hard to teach. I can't teach how to be with the dog. I can teach you the fundamentals. I can teach you how to like, you know, be relaxed, bent knees and like pull your, your shoulders back. I'm telling you specifically how to stand strong and tall and assertive and calm. But the way for me, if I just said stand tall and calm, that may not be like shoulders back, breathe, smile, keep your knees a little bit bent and like no tension through the leash. So I can't teach you the feel. I can teach you the things and hopefully hoping that with enough repetition, you're like, ah, oh, that's the feeling you want me to replicate or to feel so that my feelings and my thoughts are aligned so that my behavior becomes a thing. Exactly with the dog training process. Change how the dog feels. It alters how they think and how they act. So a lot of the things that I'm doing with Chili, yes, there's technical aspects to it. Holding a long down, working my recalls, bed commands, spin and touch and middle and weave and this and that and all the fun obedience and, and tricks. And I will call that the work, the play, the thing that Chili lives for. What His main purpose is that. But how to like communicate and just be, it's really hard. To, it's, it's personality. But Courtney, my advice to you would be, First of all, the fact that he's not getting out as much and you're trying to set up every situation. Again, I'm just, I'm probably assuming a little bit too much, but you want to set up every situation to be perfect. I don't think that's what you probably need to do. I think what you need to do is just, hey man, we're out, we're coming out. Look, we're out meeting at a client. We know that he's not a reactive, aggressive dog. He just, he's a Labrador, gets excited when he sees other dogs. So I'm going to put my dog in a down, tether him to the tree. We're going to be about 10 meters away and we'll get that dog to focus on you, do a bit of play, whatever. Randomly walk back over to your, your dog and mark and reward, assure him what he's doing the right thing. If he's broken any position, tell him he's done the wrong thing. Again, I'm not going to tell you specifically how to make a demo dog. What I'm going to say is do the things that you've been teaching, but now you need like four, five, six, seven repetitions a day. Make it so often, so often that it just becomes muscle memory. Practice it so much that you forget about it. So if I was to have Chili just on a lead, loose, walking around, because I know sometimes you're watching the videos and he's off the leash because it's a bit easier to, to work him without the leash. Having the lead on can kind of get in the way depending on where we are and things like that. But I started always on a long lead. There was no chance he would run away from me. And again, we can go into a lot more detail about the specific things about Chili and how I taught it. If you guys are interested, then any questions and I'll try and go dive deep onto specific questions, but you've 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 just you just got to get him out on the job, and then just keep working it. Because where he's at now, compared to where he was what was two years ago when I first got him, is heaps different. He's three years old now; he's a bit more mature. Two years old, he's still a little bit, and not all the time is he like super solid. There's the other day he saw a dog, and he's like, <laughs> and all he wanted to do was go over and say hello, and I'm like telling him off basically, like, hey, stop, come back here and down, and he would do it. Now, sometimes I have the wrong expectation. My expectation is too high. And I'm like, how dare you go and say hello to the dog, right? Or there's some puppies that he sees and you're like, look at him, you know, kind of raise his lip a little bit. Like, you're too much. Leave me alone. Where the puppy could be scared, so he'll just lay down next to it. Or if the puppy was kind of neutral and fun, he'll play with it. So he doesn't play with every dog. He doesn't ignore every dog. He will... And also, he kind of reads the picture. He knows when we're at work, pouches on, I'm wearing the clothes, we get out of the car. He kind of knows the play. Where if I was out doing just casual stuff with my dogs, they also know that that's different, that they're not at work. Now, what are those cues? It's probably heaps of them, but a dog knows. Now, another thing as well, things that you probably don't see because this happens while I'm working and I'm not recording it, is that there's been a couple of times, and I'll be open, is that 
he has come a little bit too close, whether he's on a long lead and he's come behind me, I haven't seen it, and the cattle dog just runs behind and like kind of goes for him, or there's a time where he did go up to say hi to a dog and I thought it was a friendly situation and I misread it and the dog like nicked him on the nose. Um, or there's been times where I'm holding a leash and the dog's blowing up with full proper aggression and, and you know, reacting in, in a very undesirable way and Chili's like, I'm not coming close to you, bro, no way. So because of those sort of situations while being at work now, one thing that I've observed, which I've been fixing, and it's taking a little bit longer because it's not always, like it's always harder to replicate this as well as I'm mindful not to be heavily training my dog all the time while I'm being, being paid to train someone else's dog. So I've got another dog on the lead, it's called the dog Jet, and I've got Jet on the lead, and I'm like, hey, Chili, come over here and take a food, or like, oh, hey, Chili, come closer, and he'll come real slow, real slow, like he's scared of coming up to me, and they're like, oh, wow doesn't look happy to come up to you right and obviously that doesn't look good for me and and, I, and i'll say oh it's only because i'm holding the leash for another dog and because that dog's like staring at him in a certain way he doesn't want to come up that close he's not an idiot now there's times where i'll like mark and reward he'll come close-ish or if the dog starts to settle down he'll come a lot closer but more importantly as soon as i pass the leash over to the client and i'm like okay he'll straight away just give the exact same command here and i'll tap my leg he'll run over to me Happy. Grab the leash slowly. So I have to honor how he feels. I have to honor the situation, honor the fact that I've made mistakes and hopefully I don't make any more of them. Um, or if I'm going to do that, I kind of, you know, catch myself out earlier so I can kind of fix it. So we're always learning. Every dog's preparation for the next one. There is no perfect dog. And I'm certainly going to mess things up until we make it better. And that's how we're going to, we're going to get better at it. So a lot of the time and another thing, and this isn't to Courtney, but to everybody, these days, I feel that so many people are reading so much about dog training, doing their courses. They're so heavily scientifically minded and theoretical that they're missing the point of the dog training process. The dog training process is a feel. It's a craft. It's an art. It's a way that you move your body, the way that you use your timing. And of course, there's a, there's a science to break that down so that's easy for us to, to discuss and to go deeper within the theory. The theory can lock you up sometimes. Um, compared to if I was to just get Joe Blow who lives out in the country and uses his dog often, he's like, I don't know the words, but I know the feel. So develop more feel, Courtney, get him out more, short, shorter in intervals, not at home, maybe do your sessions out in the front yard or across the street or in the park, bring him out to work, keep your aircon running, have a spare keys on you. So that way that if the windows are up, you can lock the door and have the aircon running and a little bit of advice there keep a little window cracked a little bit in case petrol runs out and your dog's stuck in a hot car that could be deadly right so if the car's in front of your house i'm um, in front of your client's house aircon's running or he's in the shade windows down he's got water and he's got all that stuff bring him out intermittently work on the skills that you need to work on put him back in he doesn't he's not supposed to go up and make friends with all the dogs he's supposed to be there and doing his job and that means come out down stay there that's it you break position don't don't move and a lot of what I'm doing here is what I did with Rocky and I didn't even know dog training dog trainers existed when I was 18 years old with a dog a lot of it just came naturally now again we're talking about kelpies and working dogs there is a there is a bit of a cheating to it and what I mean by that is that the dogs were made to listen to us they're no they're not like a terrier which is like over now I'm not saying terriers can't be demo dogs and terriers can't be good at in being inwardly focused obviously not but it's just not their their it's not their instinct their instinct isn't like, oh, tell me everything I need to do, where I feel working dogs are. 
So I guess I'm going to leave it there. I could talk a little bit more and go into a little bit more detail, but I want to see how this has been received and any questions that come my way. And of course, if I've, I've, if I've answered Courtney's actual question, it's something that I can't really talk about. I've got to kind of show you. And also maybe one other thing as well that, that can be, I guess, maybe a little bit controversial, controversial is that I'm not like always marking and rewarding. I'm not always like thinking about the specifics like of of the training process. I'm thinking about, hey, buddy, like we're at work, we're doing stuff. Like put it this way, you have an like an apprentice or you have an employee or someone you work with. Like you're not thinking about their psychology. You're not thinking about what they ate yesterday. You're not like weighing up everything. You're just living and throughout the living process, people around you start to learn. I don't know if that makes sense, but my point there is that if Chile was to do the wrong thing and I yell at him, oh, knock it off, stop that. That's not a training command. There's no markers there. There's lots of information, but he's going off my personality more so than trying to set it up. So it's like a clinical training session. Like I talk to him, oh, knock it off, come over here. Hey, I walk up to him, put a bit of a heavy on him. Don't ever do that again, buddy, lay down. But then, of course, I'm marking, rewarding, playing with him, going through all the motions through the training. So it's a mix of both the science and the, and the art. Don't be so caught up on the science and don't be a carny only thinking about the, the craft and, and ignoring the science. I think you, a good balance is important. And I just had another gentleman shadow me over the weekend and we did a training session with his dog. And a, these were some of the feedback. And one of the questions was like, oh, I can see how your dog's a demo dog. Oh, my God, that's awesome. The dog that I have now potentially is not the best candidate to be a demo dog what should be things that I should need to look for? His dog can be a demo dog. He's got an American staffy dog. looks awesome. Um, it can definitely work. But again, it depends on what dogs you're going to be working with, how much of a timeline you have, and where are your strengths and weaknesses? You know, and I think that's another thing as well, is that you want a dog that's bold enough to, to put up with pressure, but, but you want them soft enough that they're going to listen under those moments of like intensity. You don't want a dog so strong and bold that a dog challenges him and then he like runs and attacks because he, he needs to like deal with the situation. And like, and there'll be times where a dog will be like run up the lead and like bite me on the finger, for example, because, you know, he's redirected his frustration from the, from seeing another dog onto me. And I may have to deal with the situation. There's a bit of a, an intense moment and Chili will like, at first he would have like made some space. He got a bit more freaked out and ran back. Now he'll be like coming closer and you know, kind of circling me. And that's not that good either, right? I don't want him circling me while I'm trying to, you know, correct the dog, making the situation worse. So in that moment, while it's happening, chilly down, cool boy, and we continue. You have to be in three places at once. So some people, and look, remember this, taking risks takes practice. If you're going to heavily control the situation and follow every single rule, then you're probably not going to get to the point of chilly very quickly, only because, and again, like, you know, whether the consequences come to me or not. But a lot of the times he's off the leash when I'm doing this stuff or the lead is on him. It's a shorter lead on him. So it's not getting in the way. Like if I had a long lead on him and he started circling me, now we're all tied up. If I had a dog just laying down, the dog's not going to react. So while my dog's in the down, the dog looks at him. He's overcome the fact that there's a dog there. I'm like, okay, go. Now with when chili, okay means break the position, a release, a release command. Go means do the thing that you want to do. And that's where when I say go, the dog wants to go in a certain direction. I use that direction for the dog. It may be that he wants to go past me, behind me, and I know that there's something over there, a tree that he wants to pee on. So I use the situation, kind of look like I'm telling him to do things that I'm actually not. I'm 
Well, I am, but I'm not, if that makes sense. I'm not sure if that makes sense. So, um, so a lot of it comes down to like informal stuff that I'm doing for him to be the dog that I need him to be. Taking risks takes practice. If you're not willing to take risks, it can be very hard to get to that desirable spot. And of course, you know, when, when I get bitten at work and people are forever sorry, I'm so sorry. I'm like, listen, you didn't bite me. Your dog bit me. It, it's, it's, our, it's my job. It's, my, it's part of the territory to be in this situation. And sometimes you get bitten. Sometimes you get hurt. And sometimes your dog gets bitten or hurt. You can't fully 100% avoid it. But also you want, to, you want to minimize any of those risks. But also you kind of want to teach your dog how to overcome those situations. Sometimes bad things happen. Dog runs out of nowhere and bites your dog. No fault of your own. Can your dog overcome it? If you protect them so much, they can't overcome it. They can't be too bold and strong. I need a dog that's a little bit more bolder and stronger, a bit more thicker nerves, generally because I can be a little bit more intense sometimes and not intense in my training method, intense in the way that I am. I could like yell and shout and like bang a door just because I'm frustrated about something. And I want a dog, and like in Chile's like that, to be like, eh, whatever. Well, with spades, he's like, oh my God, he's angry. He'd run away. So not run away, he'll go and piss off somewhere in the backyard and like be away from me right so he also saw the more uglier side of me being a 21 year old and growing up and living you know my temper was maybe a little more chaos than it is now so i've grown and developed and matured but also you got to choose the right dog for those situations so you know you best and the combination between you and the dog is the most important rather than the dog itself because you want to bring out the positives as well as find out does a dog bring out any negatives do you have such a strong dog but you're so soft that doesn't work also other things as well which may or may not be relatable but what type of dog are you willing to demo now some people may see me with my working dog like oh that's easy man like of course the dog listens to him to him he's got a working dog that's not always the case right but um some people may want the um the, 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 a staffy type of dog some people may go hey i want a little um a, a cavalier moodle uh, a cavalier cross um poodle or, or a little maltese pump yeah, sure, you can, but also, what's the image of that? Now, again, I'm not saying that you should get dogs for the image, but depending on what sort of clientele you're trying to attract. Now, for me, I like the fact that I got Nookie because people saying the techniques you're showing me are big dog techniques. I've got a small dog. I go, listen, I've got a four-year-old dog. I mean, a four-kilo dog. She's about eight years old, and the techniques that I'm doing here are the same as the big dogs, and you can see that my dog, all three of my dogs are under effective control. They listen, they're happy, they're social, so it gives me a little bit of that street cred compared to just having one dog that is perfect but like you want a bit of a variety so there's a few things of like what clients are seeing and having a medium-sized dog that listens can can be awesome now let's just say in the future when when spades is no longer around a poly stick with two dogs for a while three dogs is a bit of a bit, bit of a of a handful but i would like to have like the perfect combination would be two dogs that can come out demoing and then one of those dogs can be for specific work one of them can be for like another type of work and then i want dogs that can be my f my friends my companions so there's many reasons why you should get dogs and not not always does it line up with the work that you need to do as well so in terms of getting a dog to where you want he needs your dog needs to be with you often enough so that they know what to do and what not to do and set the situation up for success, back tying your dog, tethering him, pulling him out when you need to, putting him away when you need to, making sure that your setup's correct. If you have a four-door four ute I'd, or a pickup truck, I'd probably say um, get yourself a van so that way there it's so much easier to keep your dog in a crate in the back with the, with the van running. It's a bit more safer than I can't put my dog in the canopy of my ute. It just, it's too hot. 
There's no aircon back there. So he sits in the back seat, not a problem, but if you have multiple dogs, it could suck. So having a van is probably more beneficial. And maybe one day I'll get a van as just a work car so I can use that and use the ute for like other things. But I don't want to accumulate more cars either. So there's so many different things to kind of consider when it comes to having a dog that helps you. And for me, Chili comes with me all day, every day to work. There is no time he's not with me. And there's some sessions that he sits in that car for two and a half, three hours. I just don't need him for that session. It's a two-hour session and we just didn't have time to do socialization. And I've got another half an hour to get to another job. He'll come out, stretch his legs, I'll throw the ball and do some training with him. Go back in the car, but he mainly sit there. So some days he doesn't get out that much and other days he's out all day, every day. So you want a dog that's resilient, adaptable, and those are the things that you want to be looking for. All right, I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. As always, if you enjoy what you've heard today, then let us know. Leave us a review on Spotify or Apple. I've seen that some people have been have been adding to that and really, really appreciate it. It does help the algorithm, helps more people listen in. So if you can just take the time to give us a review, always, always appreciate it. Share the episode or share something on your stories on Instagram and tag us, um, Life With The Dog Podcast or NP Dog Training or Kazuna Canine for, if, um, for Luke as well. And the more that we can share these episodes, the better. Um, and also... If you have a question, you can just DM me on Instagram at Life With The Dog Podcast, and then I'll read the the um, the message. I'll add it to my list, and I'll put it out there for you guys. As always, keep training your dog, have fun with them, know what's important, and until next time, have a great day or night. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Life With Your Dog. Please share with your friends if you're enjoying our podcast, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook, Life With Your Dog Podcast. My name's Panos, and to keep up with my dog training adventures, tips and techniques, you can find me on Instagram at NP underscore dog underscore training, my website, npdogtraining.com, or my YouTube channel, Nutris Pooches. Thanks for listening, guys. My name's Luke. If you'd like to find out more about my dog training services, you can find me at www.npdogtraining.com. Kizuna, that's K-I-Z-U-N-A, canine, C-A-N-I-N-E, dot com, dot A-U. I'm also on Instagram at Kizuna Canine Training. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.